Hello, party people, and welcome to the final episode of Season 5 of Law & Candor, the podcast wholly devoted to pursuing the legal technology revolution. We appreciate you guys tuning in for the last episode of the season. Before we kick off the, this final guest speaker, who was amazing, we do want to touch on the favorite portion of the program, and that is Sightings of Radical Brilliance. This is a portion of the program, obviously, where we bring to you the latest and the greatest of noteworthy innovation and acts of sheer genius in and around our space. Rob, what do we have for the audience today? Yeah, I think you're going to like this one. So this comes from um, IltaCon, which, of course, this year was Ilta on because it was all virtual. But this was a panel called Tech Has Changed, Power Dynamics and Legal, But Can Everyone Still Play Nice? And it featured law firm partner with in-house. I think it was uh, James Yoon, who's a partner at Wilson Sanzini, and then Christy Gedded, who is in-house at Milan. Just talking about how you know technology and other things are kind of impacting this whole dynamic between uh, law firms and their clients. Yeah, law firms used to just be like a one-stop shop for everything, right? I mean, it, you would they would do your work, they would handle your billing, they would analyze their own billing, which you know may or may not have been entirely effective, and might be why, the reason why these other little micro economies have popped up around technology, leveraging technology for law firm billing and monitoring. Um, and it, it gets into that a little bit. And I think that you know, from an in-house perspective, it's like you know, listen, we're held to the we're held to a certain standard in-house, and we're going to have to keep our law firms held to that standard. We see this all the time, right, with our clients. Uh, corporations working with corp- with with their law firms around alternative fee arrangements, caps, things like that, and and trying to get everybody on the same standard. Yeah, I mean, there's there's been a huge shift over the last ten or fifteen years. I mean, you, I mean, I think like Bill and you know we've both been in this industry for a long time, and I think we just kind of see it gradually happen. Where there was a time when law firms kind of made all the calls on not just things like e-discovery, but you know, a lot of the operational decision making around a matter, how much it was going to cost, you know, it was, I think, fairly common to have things kind of low, you know, legal budgets. Things are different now. You know, there's just a lot of tools that have kind of shifted that power back to the corporation and to the, um, you know, legal operations folks and, and in-house counsel. No doubt. I mean, you've got tools that, you know, sort of um, track spend. You have better analytics that are embedded in the tools and things that manage, you know, e-discovery and review. There's kind of, you know, no place to hide anymore. Yeah, we talk about, uh, you know, analytics uh, as it relates to document review all the time. But this article touches on how analytics can really help clients get some control over spend management and give corporate, you know, uh, more control, even how matters are handled uh, when, you know, when you have your best uh, opportunity to file summary judgment or, you know, when, when you, you know, how you can model a judgment where you could, you know, how you can model a district, th- things like this can all get put into an analytics algorithm or, or, or a tool that is able to measure your best opportunity for success. Yeah, it's really incredible. I mean, just imagine like at your fingertips being able to know, you know, every decision related to a case like yours that took place in the last five years in front of that judge or in that court. It's just, it's really, it's really changed the game. Yeah, and outside counsel should be, you know, we see them embracing this a little bit more because it's up to them then to bring this value back to their clients. Um, so it's not just a matter of their personal experience and how they would like to handle the case, but what the metrics are telling them across prior cases of similar scope. Yeah, definitely. All right. So uh, now we're going to get to the guest speaker of the program. And I got to say, this was one of my favorites. So we could have went on forever. This is one of the longer podcasts I think we've had. But John Collins, and I, he's not on right now. We recorded this a couple of days ago. So I'm much more comfortable giving him compliments behind his back. John was fabulous. Uh, he's going to walk us through some of the top 
Microsoft 365 features to leverage in your e-discovery program. I think you're going to get a lot out of this. I know I've already have a few clients that I'm going to share this with. I just think that this is, John is just, he's a brilliant guy and his insights were really, really fantastic on this. Hope you enjoy it. We're excited to have John Collins, uh, one of our favorite people here at Lighthouse to join us. And maybe John, just to kick off, could you give us a, give our listeners a little overview a little bit of background about yourself. Sure. Thanks for having me, guys. So uh, really uh, good to be here. I am a director in the advisory practice here at Lighthouse, and I focus my work on helping companies adopt and adapt technology to their e-discovery, records management, information governance practices. And I've actually been working in a space for, hard to believe, almost 20 years now. So really uh, excited to be here at Lighthouse and working with really brilliant group of people that uh, are part of the practice. I, I mean, I, I assume you're referring to Rob and I when you say the really brilliant people. Well, I, I, I was actually talking about Rob, but I, I'm happy to include you in that as well, Bill. You know, I, I, and I was going to say that to everybody that they should, you know, that, that the one little known fact about you is that your father actually invented the drink, the Tom Collins, but I'm not, I'm not <laughs> even giving that credit anymore, you know, you're going to start picking All right. on me, you know? Hey, no, no, no worries. That's fine. So, you know, John, I, th- I think when we talk about, you know, 365 and the, and the features and how they can impact the discovery program, I don't think people realize just how dynamic Microsoft is when it comes to this stuff. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, you know, Microsoft's agile development and the product enhancements at, at a high level and just how fast and furious these things are coming out? Sure, absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, from a, an e-discovery practitioner perspective, one of the nuances to adopting and moving into M365 is that that agile development and the fact that the platform's changing all the time. And I think one of the things that's really important for folks to remember about Microsoft 365 is first and foremost is a business collaboration platform. It's not an e-discovery platform, right? So Microsoft is constantly, it seems like it's almost daily, releasing new features and functions that the business people love, making it easier for them to collaborate, share information, and engage in all kinds of uh, ways to communicate. And a lot of those features and functions that get released for a business reason actually have real-world e-discovery implications. So this concept that Microsoft talks about of cloud-first, mobile-first, pushing technology out very quickly, an evergreen platform, it really has real-world implications. And I would say that it's at least every week or two I'll log into the platform and there's something that's changed. A button's been moved, a new feature's been added, something like that that just really becomes a challenge from an e-discovery perspective. And I even haven't even gotten to talking about how the e-discovery tools themselves are evolving and changing. So there's a lot to stay up uh, on top of when you're, when you're looking at the platform. Well, and, and John, this is like really a different way of thinking things. Like in the past when you, you know, you kind of had your more traditional software update, you know, you had several weeks or even months before that happened. When the update came out, you know, there were kind of notes and stuff and you could sort of resync. you know, in, in, in an agile environment, of course, you know, that's not happening. You're, you're kind of getting things pushed out, you know, even on a daily basis. And it seems like that's just going to cause some, some real challenges around this for, especially for legal practitioners. Oh, absolutely. And, and if you think about it, so I've been working in the IT legal space for 20 years. Uh, I used to work with companies that they would roll out Exchange 2003. And then in 2013, they might roll out Exchange 2010. So you'd have this seven year 
lag time where there weren't really any substantial feature changes to the platform. Now you've got Exchange Online, which literally is changing on what seems like almost a monthly basis, new features and functions. So there's definitely uh, an element to cloud adoption that really keeps e-discovery professionals, people in the records management space on their toes. Yeah, so let's let's get into it. So, you know, what are some of the top 365 features that folks in the e-discovery industry should be aware of? I mean, you're talking about it in terms of these are these are products, these are features, these are functionalities that make business collaboration easier. But to your point, they have real-world implications on the e-discovery professionals tasked with making sure that everything they collect, filter, review is done in a defensible manner. So so what are the ones that they should be aware of if, you, if you're in our space? Sure. So I think one of the first ones is that I, I think of M365 as an evidence factory. So it's an engine for creating all kinds of content or electronically stored information or ESI or data, but it's an engine for creating all these types of information, these different types of information. And really, a lot of it's stuff we're already familiar with, like email, documents, files, spreadsheets, and things like that. But now there's some new things creeping in there, like persistent chat and modern attachments, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit later. So it's this platform for creating all this information, but it's also the platform, it's designed to be the warehouse where all this information lives. And that's, in reality, a good thing, because unlike the traditional IT environment, which was very distributed, you had file servers, and you had an exchange environment, you had a SharePoint environment, maybe you have a Lotus Notes environment out in the warehouse that you don't want to talk about. With Office 365, now we're bringing all of this content into a centralized platform. So the good news is that all of that content, for the most part, is reasonably well indexed. So we can bring things to bear like e-discovery and information governance tools to help manage and, and identify, preserve, and collect and, and do all these things that we have to do from a discovery perspective in the platform. That seems like a like a really an advance forward because like I remember, you know, when we lived in that old world and if you're trying to think about like how do you put retention around all these different systems that might even, you know, not even give you the same option, you know, for each data source. Having it kind of under one hood really does seem like a there's a lot of benefit to that. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Because with that centralization comes the fact that now you're not having to go to multiple different locations to identify the data. I do think that one of the things that we see in our consulting work is that the bar is being raised in terms of how organizations approach discovery. And, and one of the areas where that's most apparent is SharePoint. You know, a lot of organizations treated have treated SharePoint traditionally as a sort of a, a second-class citizen when it comes to discovery. It's not necessarily a primary focus for them. But what we're seeing now is when we're working, especially with the more, uh, let, let me say, sophisticated clients, that is folks with lots of discovery, they have teams of people that are responsible for responding to discovery requests. We're seeing them now looking at SharePoint and realizing, wow, we've really got to increase the amount of scrutiny that we pay attention to when it when it comes to preserving and collecting information from SharePoint. So, and I know one of the things we're, I was going to talk about is data storage. So, but yeah, it's it's definitely the way I always think about Microsoft 365 is it's it's a double-edged sword. It brings a lot of new content into the environment. It, it increases the volume and you have the agile development and all these things, but it also has a lot of the solutions to deal with these challenges that it challenges that it introduces so 
you know what? Talk about storage a little bit. I mean, you want to get into it. Let's get into it. I think that it's important, you know, because if, what we like to do, honestly, on this on this program is talk about the challenges, but then talk about how to handle things. And and so to get into if, if storage is top of mind, I'd love to hear it. Sure. Yeah. So when you look at M three sixty five, the storage in some respects seems kind of kind of simple. And I've heard people say, well, if it's in M three sixty five, it's either an exchange or SharePoint. And in in one respect, that's true. And the good news is that the fact that that's true in one respect means that it, it's good because that data is indexed for the most part, and it's available for discovery and to be preserved and so forth. But the data storage is also complex in that because of the architecture and because Microsoft is so interested in building all these different collaboration tools to make it easy for the business people to collaborate, the back-end architecture from a discovery perspective is actually quite complex and it's it's really complex when it comes to teams. So if if any of the folks out there that are listening, whether it's uh, law firms or in-house legal professionals, just keep in mind that when you're talking to folks from IT, they might oversimplify the storage and say, hey, it's just an exchange, it's just in SharePoint. But the reality, especially when we start to tackle teams, which I think we're going to talk about next, is really that it's it's uh, it's much more complex than that. But at the most basic level, the fact that the data is in Microsoft 365 in, and in one of these storage locations and it's indexed means that we've got some capabilities from a discovery perspective. John, maybe we should talk about Teams a little bit just because, you know, with, with COVID, there was such rapid adoption of Teams. And I think for a lot of people, it's the first time they've worked in, you know, a more of a collaboration tool, you know, versus just a chat tool. What are, what are some of the challenges that exist around Teams? Well, I mean, it's, it's Teams was getting significant adoption over the last year before the pandemic hit. And we had, I don't know, I would say probably half a dozen clients that were saying, yes, we want to roll out Teams and we're going to need some assistance with that, but we're going to do it in the fourth quarter of 2020, or we're going to do it in the first quarter of 2021. And right around April, May, we had several of those clients that just completely flipped and said, the first thing we're going to roll out is going to be Teams because it does br allow an organization to communicate and collaborate across geographic distances in a way that, you know, it was very difficult to do before. And even though companies have things like WebEx and Skype for Business and, and those types of tools, one of the things about Teams, which makes it a really useful technology for collaboration and why it's, it's getting so much adoption now is, is that it has all these features and functions and going back to our storage discussion, most of the, most of the data that gets generated and is a byproduct of using teams gets stored somewhere in M365. So it's all discoverable, right? So we've got all these different types of data. And I've, I, I actually was going through and doing something for, uh, a client trying to itemize every single piece of information that could possibly be discoverable. And this one attorney was, I mean, she was, I mean, you talk about boiling the ocean. She was boiling like five different oceans. She wanted everything. And I came up that there's 25 different artifacts, completely different artifacts in, a, in teams that you could potentially target for discovery. And in addition to the 25, there's 24 
different locations that depending on how you're using Teams and whether you're using it in meeting mode or if you're using Teams as a phone system, where those items might be. And there's a legitimate question from a discovery perspective across all those 24 and 25, the 25 artifacts and the 24 locations. So it's really, you know, it's a challenge. But again, the good news is these are all things that you can figure out. It's not a black box. It's just that it's unfortunately a lot of work to get on top of this stuff. You know, it's funny. I was just having a conversation with this about this recently. You know, we've evolved from, I mean, this actually goes right to your point about uh, Microsoft enabling a, a better way to do business, right? And with all this stuff. And Teams, I think, is at the forefront of that. And it's become these collaboration platforms that we're starting to see more and more. So rather than sending emails to each other with attachments and then jumping on a conference call, we're doing everything in Teams. We're creating a team and then we're collaborating on, you know, we're, we're, we're putting posting documents. We're redlining those documents. We are, we are chatting back and forth. We are jumping on conference calls all within Teams. And different versions of documents exist within them. That's all discoverable. It, let's say that's in the in the process of creating a drug or a widget, right? And creating a widget. Now all of a sudden there's an IP litigation and you have to pull all that stuff in. Then you now you have to deal with not only is it discoverable and how to get it, but how do I get it and put it into a review tool in some sort of a context that makes sense? We're used to looking at emails. We're looking at look, used to looking at emails with attachments and then even putting them in conversation threads and then looking in keywords. But if you can actually pull teams into a review tool to somehow create a context, you know, it, it, it could theoretically make it easier. The problem is, like you said, it's stored in so many different areas. They're all disparate. It's not one file that you pull out that contains all of Teams. It's every, so, I mean, this is, these are problems that are created by the solution to making business easier. Exactly. And Microsoft's first priority is doing just that, right? Because think about it, the business market for the Teams functionality for telephony, for collaboration, for file storage is a $150, $200 billion market. The market for e-discovery is what, $5, 10 $15 billion. So not, not a small number. So, so Mike, Office 365 is always going to be a collaboration and business first platform. And that's not, that's reflected so clearly in teams. And, you know, in some respects, a lot of the things that teams does is, have has been around have been around you know the the idea that you're going to share attachments or that you're going to share links share files using links the idea of persistent chat i mean persistent chat in some respects has been around for a long time but the thing that teams does is it repackages it all in a very appealing interface and it's becoming teams because it's becoming the de, the de facto workplace even more so than outlook people are spending more time in teams that's becoming the de facto place where people are creating all this different evidence. And because of all these different artifacts we're talking about, it really forces organizations to have to really rethink how they're going to do e-discovery. And a lot of the time that myself and, and my colleagues and, and even others in the field that do this type of consulting work, what we're spending our time doing is helping companies figure out how to adapt and adopt their e-discovery processes to teams. And it's, it's, it's a challenge. You know, John, like I know that there's, you know, a ton more features, you know, that we could go through and, and, and talk about. And, and when you think about like the complexity of all these different places that you can store and, you know, like in that agile environment, all the updates that are happening. I mean, if, if I'm a, you know, if I'm working at a law firm or in a corporate legal department or, you know, in records retention, 
like what resources do I have to stay up to date on all of this? So there's fortunately a lot of really useful information out there. There's uh, we've uh, Lighthouse has some resources on our website. I know that there's a couple uh, other long candor podcasts on this subject that are useful that uh, have some good information in them as well. So uh, I would definitely recommend uh, visiting our website. Uh, if you talk to your e-discovery provider or information governance consulting firm that you work with, they, they may have some uh, good information or have uh, folks like myself that work in this area. Uh, Microsoft has some really useful resources. It's it's like a lot of things with Microsoft. There's It's sort of uh, you know, two, there's two sides of it. There's some really good documentation. If you Google Microsoft Docs and eDiscovery, uh, you'll find the main documentation portal. And Microsoft has some really good detailed information about their tools. Some of the information is really detailed. Some of it's not as detailed. And then uh, I would also recommend everyone check out uh, office365itpros.com. And it's a website where you can buy a book that is one of the most well-written, most well-organized resources I've ever seen on any technology, including Office 365. And you can buy the book. It's, it's got chapters on e-discovery and data governance, information governance. So we'd really recommend taking a look at those things. Look at, look at these tips we give our listeners. I mean, are, we, are you kidding me? I mean, we are, we, are, we are bringing it today. John, thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. I, we could go, this, is, this might be my favorite podcast we've ever done. I, I feel like we could have gone on. Sure, you say that to all the, you say that to all the podcast partners. John, that's absolutely true. You're right, I do. Um, the, I, the, no, this has been great. I, I'm, I'm, I'm honest. I, I really feel like we could have gone on uh, for, for an hour because I, I, I certainly could have asked you a million different questions just about teams. Because the 25, I, I, 10 questions about each artifact, right? Yep, exactly. Um, but, it, but if I can recap, and I'm, I'm going to have a hard time recapping all of it because I thought it was all useful, but I, it, 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 the bottom line is I think 365 is a, is a business collaboration platform, and it is so dynamic. It is changing, you know, like you said, it feels like it's almost daily, but certainly monthly. There are there's significant changes to the platform. Something from as little as a, a button is moving to all of a sudden a, a completely different shift in the way certain things are happening. And while it's always meant to make business easier, there are real-world implications to the people that are managing it from the e-discovery and legal perspective. The stuff that you were saying about teams and, and all the different areas that it's uh, that it can be stored and how to recreate context for review, I thought that was brilliant. I also love the office365itpros.com. Did I get that right? Yep. I think that's a great resource for, for our listeners to get to. And and I have to say that, you know, the, when, when the way you sort of summarized it with Microsoft as an evidence factory in the warehouse where, where all that evidence typically lives, I, I think when you think of it that way, it enables the, I, I think the, the people that are charged with dealing with it from an e-discovery perspective should think of it that way. Yep. Because that's, that, that's how they, because if they tackle it that way, if they, if, they, if they attempt to put processes in place in looking at, at it that way, it becomes at least more, I wouldn't say manageable, but at least it becomes more doable, right? You, you know what your goal is when you, when you know that this is a platform where your data is all being stored, that the evidence is, is all being stored for your litigations or investigations. Yeah, I feel like that warehouse is starting to look like the one at the end of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree. And the one other thing I was going to say is that the practitioners, 
can't go into the warehouse and see one of those boxes that's got a big spider on it and be afraid of it. You've got to dive into the box and understand how it works because, like I said, the threshold for discovery is going up because practitioners know that these e-discovery tools are available in M365 and you know the plaintiff's bar out there, they're going to look to leverage, why didn't you preserve that information? Why didn't you discover it? So it's really you know, really something that I think folks have to have to really take seriously. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and, you know, look, we've done, uh, you know, 30 some odd podcasts to this point, maybe 40 podcasts, and you're definitely in the top 40. <laughs> I, I, I would, I, I, I mean, absolutely. I was really worried there. <laughs> no, John, this was, it was, this was really, really great. And I, 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 we really, really appreciate this. I think this is one of those that uh, I know uh, we'll be we'll be sending links to our to various clients out there because we get questions about this stuff all the time. So anytime we can send something like this as a resource, and then of course we'll give them your personal phone number and tell them that you like to be called on Sundays. Yeah, exactly. So as long as you don't demand, as long as you don't mind that, I, I again we appreciate you. And but you know what you'll get? You'll get a long candor t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I'm psyched. It's true, you know. <laughs> Yes, man. And it, they fit well. They do. They fit well. Very nice. Um, John, seriously, thank you so much for doing this. It was really great. Yep. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, John. All right, folks, that is a wrap on season five. Can you believe it? They said we wouldn't last season five. Incredible. Anyway, fun doesn't stop here. We want to go to season six. How can you help us get to season six? Like, subscribe, comment, leave a good review, smash that subscribe button over and over and over again until you pound a hold to your computer. Really appreciate it. Your feedback is always welcome. Your reviews are always welcome. Even the bad ones, we read them all. The bad ones we typically blame Rob for. The good ones I take all the credit for. Please like it. Please subscribe. Please leave a fantastic review about me. I don't care what you say about Rob. Enjoy. Thanks. Thanks.